So hey, welcome to season one, episode one of The Teaching Pod, where I hope to provide support to parents, guardians, and teachers of young children by offering my pretty much expert knowledge of early childhood education. Just kidding. I don't know if you can actually be an expert in this field, but anyway, I do have a ton of experience working with children ages birth to five and a graduate degree in this field. So I hope I can help at least a little bit. Um, Throughout the episodes, I'll throw in definitions, evidence, and names of early childhood theorists uh, or researchers here and there so that you can expand your knowledge by Googling that stuff. I'll also try to add links to the show notes so that you can research at your leisure. This week's topic is the learning environment. I'll explain what that means, why it's important to the development of the children in your care, and what you can do to support the children in your care, in your home or in the classroom. But before we get to the topic, let's take a minute to breathe, because being caregivers of young children is hard, you know? So each week, I'll present a new breathing or mindful technique that you can use with and or without your young learners anytime throughout the day. Taking this time is essential to daily self-care so that you can be present and effective for your little learners and you can show them how to care for themselves by modeling these kind of calming strategies. Okay, let's get started. And please don't close your eyes if you're driving during this, thanks. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable as you gently close your eyes. You'll inhale through your nose for a count of four, hold the breath for a count of seven, and exhale through your mouth for a count of eight. Don't worry if you aren't exact here, just do your best. Inhale, one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, good, inhale, one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you're doing a good job, inhale, one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
Thank you so much for taking the time to breathe with me. A few minutes of this activity throughout the day is proven to relieve stress by activating our parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for relaxing you. Um, It lowers your heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, and helps us enter a relaxed mental state, which of course is excellent for our overall health. So I put the source material for the breathing technique that we just did in the notes. Um, It's from Hands-On Meditation. You can check them out or you can of course research breathing techniques that might work better for you. Okay, so now that we're relaxed and focused, let's dive into this week's topic, again, the learning environment. So I wanted to discuss this first because the learning environment is considered by most, if not all, early childhood theorists and researchers to be the third teacher. And it really sets the stage for all the learning that's to come. It goes well beyond the physical space to include social and emotional supports. And social emotional learning is the process of developing self-control and self-awareness and interpersonal skills. And in my opinion, these skills are like 150% necessary in giving the children that you're caring for a strong start to their little lives that is gonna help manage their mental health as they grow up into adults. That's right, you, the caregivers, the grown-ups, are most definitely responsible for how children develop into adulthood but hey, no pressure. We'll talk more about this in later episodes because it is a huge topic. Okay, so the learning environment. The learning environment is anywhere a child can explore a space with some scaffolding. I'm going to put a clip in here for you to listen to so you can learn a little bit more about what that word means. You may have heard the term scaffolding as it applies to big building remodels and renovations. But did you know it also has to do with child development? Scaffolding refers to structured assistance or guidance that helps someone build confidence and push their limits to develop new skills and accomplish tasks. As the learner's abilities increase, the amount of help decreases accordingly. This is one way you can support your child's autonomy. Autonomy is just a big word for independence. We all want our kiddos to be able to do things themselves, right? Heck yeah, we do. And we want to make sure that we align scaffolding with children's development level so they're not frustrated and give up. An example would be modeling how to do something like hold a crayon. Show the child how to do that and take a step back and let them try it. I will provide some details on how to scaffold on the Facebook page. Now let's get back to defining the learning environment. It's essentially an intentionally planned learning space in the classroom or a place in your house or even outside. But I'm not only referring to the physical space, which is of course important, but also to the climate or the general mood of that space, which is crucial in promoting feelings of safety in children. And that's necessary when building social and emotional skills and learning supports. For instance, children who feel tension between caregivers like family members or co-teachers are not likely to feel safe expressing their feelings or exploring their environment for fear of causing more tension. Also, they're more likely to act in ways that are challenging to their caregivers to communicate those uncomfortable feelings. Why is the environment important? 
So according to Loris Malabuzzi, a guy who founded the Reggio Emilia Learning Approach in Italy, and you can learn more about that approach at regiochildren.it. And I'll talk about this approach more in future episodes. So according to Malaguzzi, the learning environment can be viewed as the third teacher. It supports exploration with the use of purposely placed furniture and materials. This is especially important in the classroom where you may have upwards of 15 children. If you're listening as a parent, at home, you can of course be more flexible when it comes to furniture and materials, but allow safe spaces for your child to freely ex- explore without too much intervention. When I say purposely place furniture and materials, I mean you put some thought into what and where things should go and when it's a good time for certain activities to happen. So for example, clay helps with the development of fine motor skills. Fine motor skills are movements that require coordination of fingers, hands, and wrists to complete tasks like writing and eating. So you'll want to make sure that you have clay available and an area, maybe an art area, or if you're at home, a table. Environments provide children with feedback from their interactions with it. For example, it can explore cause and effect. They can make uh, mistakes and use those critical thinking skills to try and figure things out or build those skills. Uh, There's so much that they can do if they have the freedom to explore. Thinking about planning for the environment is so important because children, again, have to feel safe to explore their physical space and, more importantly, their emotional space. The environment helps with engagement, which of course helps with the retention of information and their understanding of their world. I know I'm leaving out a lot of the reasons that environments are important here. I would love to go over all of those things, but um, you can continue this research by googling the importance of um, early childhood environments or going to um, the National Association for Early Childhood Education, which is called NACI's website, which I'll post in the notes too. Also, know that taking time to create an environment truly conducive to learning is going to pay off. It's a proven way to ease challenging behaviors and it provides a foundation for independent lifelong learning. Okay, now we've got this information. How are we going to put it into practice? Caregivers, you are part of the environment. That is why self-care is important, like we said in the beginning. Children are reading your facial cues, your tone, your body language. They're listening to what you say, even if you don't think they are. You really set the tone for the day. Um, They look to you as a model for expectations. If you can't handle your emotions and remain calm, the environment you create is going to be stressful for everyone. Teachers. The first thing that you have to do is reflect on your ideas, beliefs, and values. Remember, the environment is a place where we can connect and build relationships with our young learners. So think about what's important to you and why. Consider those ideas, beliefs, and values of the families that you are going to be working with and how might those conflict with your beliefs, ideas, and values. And what do you think you can do to help overcome the challenges so that you can build and maintain those important relationships. This is a key part of the emotional safety that I mentioned earlier. Children and their family should be represented in the learning environment so that they feel welcome 
and obtain a sense of security. If you're a parent listening, you can provide your child with knowledge of diversity through conversations and books at home. If you feel that uh, school your child is attending is not representing your family, connect with the teacher or administration and discuss ways that that can be incorporated because it is important for your child. Teachers, you can represent those families with materials like books that show different family dynamics including LGBTQ families, multicultural families, blended families, single parent families, etc. Puppets that are diverse in skin color and ability and clothing. Skin tone crayons, markers, and paper can be provided. Posters, puzzles representing diversity and inclusion but we're not just gonna throw the materials in the room and call it a day. You need to use them. You have to have continuous discussions about differences to build an understanding which develop kindness and tolerance in children. And of course, you have to do this in a developmentally appropriate way. They will take those skills that you're teaching them into adulthood, talk about boundaries, visual boundaries, will eliminate a lot of challenging behaviors. So when you set up a classroom or even a space at home, keep that in mind. Visual examples are are going to be on my Facebook and Instagram page and maybe a website. I haven't gotten that completed yet, but um, I'll go over some here too. Teachers, use furniture to make areas of interest or centers. Make sure centers are clear with all materials labeled with pictures and words in languages that represent your classroom. Parents or guardians, you can provide clear space spaces for play too. If your child, for example, wants to use clay, make sure they are aware of where they can play with that, right? Like on a table or mat. Teachers, make sure your interest areas are large enough to explore, but not too large that children will run or wrestle on them. Also consider your students. If they have physical disabilities, you have to maybe make some more space. Parents, ensure, of course, physical safety or designated play areas that are safe for exploration, like a large playpen or a bedroom or playroom. Teachers, use tape to mark areas on the floor where you want the children to stand or line up. Little kids don't know what you want, so you're gonna have to show them constantly, repeatedly, and explain all the time. But don't use too many words. That'll be another show. Teachers, keep in mind that if materials are in a child's reach, which they should be if they are for the children, they are going to touch them. So you've got to teach those boundaries. Um, If you do not want something, if you do not want the children to touch something rather, then you're going to have to put it out of their sight because they will touch it and they should touch it if it's in their reach. So be mindful of that. Parents, keep what you want them to engage with at their eye level. Children, they get distracted. If you want them interacting with their environment, which you do, so they can learn, you've got to keep stuff at their level. This is a big one. The next one, don't clutter the room. I know it can be difficult, but a clean and organized room is important. Kids should be able to find things, and so should you, so that you're not frustrated and neither are they. Too many things can be overstimulating. Um, It can trigger anxiety for children and and for adults. Teachers, keep things off the ceiling. Use the children's art to decorate at their eye level when possible. They should have a sense that their classroom is theirs. Uh, This helps also build that important classroom community when they feel like they're a part of it, like they're participating in it. 
You don't have to put all the toys and books out at once either. Make sure you can switch them throughout the year so the kids don't get bored. This goes for parents too. So a lot of the advice today is targeted to preschool age children three to five, but we can use similar ideas when we think about the environment set up for babies and toddlers, like ensuring we provide safe physical spaces to explore and safe emotional spaces to express feelings and explore interests. Um, we must also consider developmentally appropriate materials in any environment. Visual aids, so helpful, like rules, routines, and interactive schedules are awesome and help alleviate so many behaviors. If you have posters like this available, make sure they're posted again at children's eye level and in a place that's accessible to them, meaning they can touch it, they can interact with it. Okay, so that's it for some of my ideas. If you're looking for some more, please join me next week. Subscribe or follow on Instagram or Facebook. I am working on our website, but I don't know how long that's gonna take. Feel free also to email me with any questions or concerns at connectwiththeteachingpod at gmail.com. And also be nice because this is my first ever podcast and I think it went all right, but uh, I I am really um, open to constructive, constructive criticism. Don't be mean. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a little inspirational quote by Howard Gardner. I don't know who that is, but I like this quote because it was based on the environment. And it said, enabling environments mobilize the energy, attention, curiosity, and focus of children. So keep that in mind when you're with your little learners. Thanks so much again, and I hope that you'll join me next Friday anywhere you listen to your podcasts.